Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Jesus is preaching. He's continuing his Sermon on the Mount. And he says, it's a bit of a turn from where he's been. He kind of takes a, goes off into left field here from where he's been. So in verse 17, he comes out of saying, you are the salt of the, of the earth and the light of the world. Then he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ is the focal point of all of the Bible. He is the the central focus of all of the scripture. The, The complete revelation of God finds its center, its focus in Jesus Christ. Everything that happens before Christ is is merely pointing to him and leading to him and guiding us and anticipating Jesus Christ. And all the stuff that happens after Jesus Christ is reflecting upon him and putting us back to him, to Jesus Christ and to the completed work, this is important, the completed work that he did on the cross. The 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke tells us that after Jesus had been crucified, after he died and was buried and was resurrected, he appeared to two men who were on the way to Emmaus, Cleopas and his friend. And they they walked and they talked together, but Cleopas and his friend did not recognize who Jesus was. They thought he was just some other other dude that they were walking and having this conversation with. And he, he asked them about the events of, of the day. And they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened in the last three days? And they began to talk about Jesus and their hope that they had in this man and how the government had, had crucified him and had, had killed him and put him in the ground. And they, they had such hope in him. They were confused about what had happened because They were so certain that he was the one who was going to redeem all of Israel. But now they're looking back at this. What's happened over the last three days, Jesus has been been taken prisoner. He's been put up and crucified in shame and, and in a very dishonorable death that he had. And then they've taken him off of this cross and put him in a sealed tomb. They buried him. This, this hope that they had for their redemption. They thought, this is the one. He came into Jerusalem just, just like 10 days ago, and, and everyone said, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the king of kings. Hosanna. They laid their palms down in, in front of him as he rode in on his donkey. They worshiped because they recognized that a Messiah had come. But now, not, not seven days after that, they whole crowd, the same ones that were screaming Hosanna, were screaming crucify him. And all their hopes had been dashed. How how can this be? And not only that, not only that, 
But that very morning, as they were walking on the road, before they had left on their journey to Emmaus, that very morning, some women in their group came to them and said, we've been to the tomb to anoint the body, and there's nothing there. He is not there. They, were, they, were, they didn't know what to make of it. They were confused. They were so, oh, we don't get it. Why would they take his body? We don't get it. That we had such hope, and their hopes were dashed. And when they told Jesus about all this that had happened, Jesus, <laughs> in only a way that Jesus could, he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. Now, if I was talking to you and you were explaining to me how hopeless you were, and I said to you, You're so foolish, how would you react to that? Probably not well. But Jesus has a way. He has a way of speaking truth in such love. He says, Oh, foolish ones, slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then the Bible says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, beginning with Moses, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the, the Pentateuch. He wrote, that's, that's, the, that's the law. And all the prophets... Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Joel, Obadiah, all the prophets. Beginning with the law, Moses, and all of the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's Luke 24, verses 25 through 27, if you want to look that up. So Jesus essentially tells him, he says, you guys, why are you so slow to believe what the prophets have already said? Why don't you believe what the, was it not necessary to fulfill the prophets that the Christ must suffer to be brought into his glory? Why are you so slow? They were, these guys, they knew the law, they knew the prophets, they were raised with it, they were, they were good, faithful Jewish boys. This would have been their textbook as they were growing up. They would have had to memorize whole sections of the law, whole sections of Isaiah, whole sections of Ezekiel. They've had to have it committed to memory. So they, they knew the law. They knew what the prophets wrote. They knew what was in the law. That is why they had so much hope in this man named Jesus. Because they knew the law. They knew what the prophets had said about a coming Messiah. They knew that Moses had prophesied that God would send them a prophet greater than even he was. And they thought that he was the one. They thought this man Jesus was the guy. But then they saw him on a cross. And then they saw him in a grave. And their hopes were dashed and they were turned into despair. Essentially, Jesus told them, why do you not see that this too had to happen? Why don't you understand that this part had to happen too? Do you not see that in the prophets? Do you not see that even in the law? It's even in the law that this crucifixion, death, and resurrection had to happen. All of it was pointing to him. And he used the same law, Jesus did. In this discussion, he used the same law, Moses, and the same prophets that, that they knew. He used those to show them that it was all about him. Amen. Amen. In many ways, throughout his life and his ministry, Jesus validates the Old Testament record. 
not just here, but all throughout his life and ministry, he validates it. He talks about Abel and Noah and the flood. He talks about Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah. He talks about Lot and Isaac and Jacob. He talks about the manna that came from heaven. He talks about the serpent that's in the desert. He talks about David eating the consecrated bread in the tabernacle. He talks about Solomon and Elijah and Zechariah and so on and so on. He refers to the Old Testament text as historical records. He treats them as historical fact. These people existed. What the Bible says happened, happened. He treats it as it was an an accurate historical account. All throughout his his life and ministry, Jesus upholds the Old Testament record. It's not just an allegory. The Old Testament is not just a story. It's not make-believe. He he teaches it and he he lives it as historical fact. It is true. Its record is true, its prophecies are true, its laws are true, and all of it is pointing to Him. So Jesus preaches, He teaches, and He lives according to the authority of Scripture. The only Scripture they had at the time was the Old Testament. The New Testament is being written as He's speaking. All of it lives, all of it leads and points to Christ. Christ, by his life, demonstrates the authority of Scripture. He began his ministry affirming the authority of Scripture. He's barely 90 seconds into his sermon on the Mount. Barely just over a minute into it, and Jesus, he takes a pause and he shifts gears. He stops talking about everybody else because everything up to this point has been about other people. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted and reviled. And then he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Other, you are. You. He's not pointing to himself yet. And then finally, we get after the salt and the light, and he turns the attention to himself. Amen. Amen. And the first time that he turns the attention towards himself is in verse 17 when he says, Do not think that I, that's the first mention of himself in his Sermon, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now the first mention that Jesus gives of himself is to say that he affirms the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, I came to fulfill them. Jesus is going to do a whole lot of things in his life and ministry beyond this point, beyond the Sermon on the Mount, a whole lot of things are going to happen for him to prove that he is who he says he is, that he is, in fact, the son of the living God. In addition to that, he is going to ruffle a whole lot of feathers by living perfectly according to the law. Amen. 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 And consequently, it was the law keepers who were so offended. By his living perfectly according to the law. They didn't have it right. They understood it wrong. 
In fact, Jesus says that without question, I am not here to tear down this law. He goes on to say it in verse 18 that the law and the prophets cannot be torn down. I'm not here to tear it down. And let me give you another point. It can't be torn down. Not one iota, not one dot can be broken or torn down until everything that they were given for has been accomplished. Not one iota. An iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. That's not just a euphemism that we have to mean a tiny thing. It is an actual letter in the Greek alphabet, iota, and it's the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. Not one dot. The dot is the smallest piece of a letter in the alphabet. Our, our equivalent, the English equivalent, would be the little dot above the capital or above the lowercase i or the lowercase j. So Jesus is saying that not the smallest letter, not even the smallest part of a letter of the law can be torn down. In other words, the word of God stands until it accomplishes all that it says. And even then, when it accomplishes all that it says, it is still not invalid, it is fulfilled. Its purpose is complete. It is no wonder that this statement comes immediately after his admonition to us and his challenge to us, his declaration over us that we are salt and light in the world. He said, let your light shine before others. If you've been in a dark room for a long time, y'all know this by a personal experience. If you've been in the dark room for a long time and you go out into the, the broad daylight, it is a painful experience. It really is. It's very uncomfortable to your eyes. You have to squint and shield your eyes from the blinding effects of the light to protect them because it's painful for your eyes to go from darkness into bright light. But the longer you are exposed to the light, the longer you are outside, the longer you're in the sun, everything begins to clear up and you can see. Everything is illuminated. Colors are brighter and details are clearer. Stuff you couldn't see before, you can see now. Even, and that's, this is the light that hurt at first. This is the light that was almost blinding at first. You, could, you walk out and your understanding is all messed up because you can't see. But then the more you are in the light, the better you can see. This is the purpose of the law. This is what the law came for. It came to shine light in our darkness to show us our own unrighteousness. Paul said that sin is not counted where there is no law. That's Romans 5.13. It's an amazing statement. Sin is not counted where there is no law. In Romans 8.2, he said that the law that we have is the law of sin and death. In his first letter to the Corinthians, which on Wednesday nights we're about to get to this chapter, chapter 15, he said that the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin, or of the, the power of sin is the law. Amen. Sin has power because of the law. The law is light on our sin. It illuminates it. Amen. It shows it for what it is. Without it, we would not know the character of God or the righteousness of God, or the holiness of God, we would not know sin. Amen. We'd be in the dark. Amen. 
and it would be in the dark with us. In Galatians 3.24, Paul says that the law has been our guardian until Christ came. I like the way the King James translated it. It says the law has been our schoolmaster. When I think of a schoolmaster, I think of an old-timey schoolmaster, you know, in the single-room classrooms, and they carried around the little rod that they used to whack the kids over their hands with when they misbehaved. That's what the rod is for. It's to punish, and that's the way the law behaves. It is the schoolmaster to whack us into shape. The law guards us. It illuminates our sin. It shows us that we're all transgressors. We're all lawbreakers, and there's none of us that is righteous. No, not one. That's in the Psalms, and Paul echoes that later. We cannot obtain salvation from the judgment for our law-breaking by trying to be law-keepers. We've all broken it. And once it's broken, it's broken. You can't get salvation from breaking the law by trying to keep the law. If you evade your taxes, they're not going to let you off the hook by paying your future taxes. You've got to go pay your back taxes, Amen. or they're going to put you in prison. Amen. The law has been broken. The law is our guardian. The law is the law of sin and death. And sin's power is the law. Let me see if I can show you what that means. Without sin and transgression, the law is of no consequence. It doesn't, doesn't matter to us without sin and transgression. If you're driving down the road at 65 miles per hour in a 65 mile per hour zone, the law does not touch you until you drive 66. The law is of no consequence to you until you brush up against it. Amen. Some of you, I think, you come into contact with that law every day because you like to exceed the speed limit. I know my wife does. <laughs> the law is of great consequence to her. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, baby. Here's a biblical one. The, the biblical law says, thou shalt not kill, right? Y'all heard this, this Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. And for most of us, that law, um, it may as well have been written in Swahili, or it may as well say, thou shalt not fly, because we can't fly and none of us are going to kill. It's just it's such a foreign concept to us, for most of us. We'll never come into contact with this law. It's not even in the back of our minds. It doesn't even come as a, a, a concept that we might want to murder someone. We're so far away from that, it's never even a thought. We have no problem avoiding, staying away from, not coming into contact with this law. Thou shalt not kill. But if someone harms my children, someone that I love, I'm going to really need to think about that law. I mean, it's not like we wake up every day and we say, I need to work hard not to kill somebody. We got to work hard. I mean, depending on who you work with, I guess. <laughs> I got to, Lord, help me not to kill that person. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't wake up thinking that seriously. Amen. We don't wake up, most of us don't wake up having a, a real struggle with the law of murder. We don't have a problem with that. But again, if someone harms my children, I'm going gonna, 
I might get very close to that. At that point, the law becomes very relevant to me because anger and sin have entered my heart. And this sort of thing happens to all of us, not that we conceive of murder, because again, most of us probably won't ever genuinely conceive of that. We might get angry, but transgressing the law in our heart, there's all kinds of law, moral law, don't lie, don't cheat, don't, don't cut covet. Don't have any other gods before me? And how often do we do that without even... Oh. This happens to all of us. Every one of us bump up against the law of God daily, maybe even hourly. Some of you have a hard time going a holy minute without coveting something before God, without loving something more than you love God, without being jealous or greedy. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, basically everything you've got. And when you don't, you're breaking the law of God. Have you thought about that? When I don't love God with everything in me, when everything else is dim and like a shadow and like dung on the heap, I'm breaking the law of God. So very, none, of us, <laughs> none of us can get through a day, I would wager, without coming against the law, without bumping into it. We do our very best to love God with all of our heart. We do our very best to show Him that we love Him. We do our very best to live according to His holy way in a, a way that, is, uh, uh, that displays His character in the world. But, uh, you know, that jerk just cut me off on the highway, and I want him to know it. But God said, vengeance is mine. Amen. But I've got a horn. And I'm going to lay on it and make sure he knows he's being a jerk. Problem is, I drive a Miata, which is a tiny little car, and the horn sounds like, Hello, excuse me, excuse me. Um, you cut me off. <laughs> That's no joke. <laughs> so it's almost embarrassing for me to honk my horn. I just get, get real mad, you know. Paul called this, so we're all guilty under the law, every last one of us. We're all guilty under it. And Paul called it the law of sin and death because sin is the, or the law, uh, the power of the law is sin. And sin is what brings us into contact with the law. Death is the judgment of the law. That's the consequence for transgressing the law, for coming up and bumping up into the law. The co consequence is death. That's the judgment of the law. So here's the thing. Jesus is the only way we've got. He's the only way. Paul continues in Galatians 3. He says that the law was our guardian until Christ came. Then he says, in order that we might be justified by faith. We cannot be justified. We cannot be made right any other way. This only comes in Jesus Christ. Faith in Him as the once for all sacrifice in our sins. That's part of the law. Sin has to have a sacrifice. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for the sin. In this way, He fulfills the law. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He brings them to completion. Remember, he said, I don't come to abolish the law. I come to fulfill the law. I'm going to complete the law. Amen. The law has a transgression and it has a judgment. He completes the requirements and he completes the judgment of the law. 
Jesus loved God at all times with everything that he had. Jesus loved his neighbor at all times as he loved himself. He was completely innocent under the law, yet he bore our punishment. He took the judgment for the law. He transgressed nothing in it. He never brushed up against it. The law never touched him. It has no power over him because he never sinned. And yet he took the death of the law. He took the judgment of the law. He satisfied and fulfilled the law on our behalf. That's why Paul says later, in the very next statement he says, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Faith in Christ. Not just, not just believing that He is. Faith in His work on our behalf makes us sons of God. It's not, it's not just enough to know that Jesus was. Lots of people believe that Jesus was. They may even believe that He was the Son of God. They may even believe that He rose from the dead. But they don't trust Him. Knowing that someone is there and trusting someone with your life are two different things. Jesus said, or the, Jesus told the demons, or the, yeah, he said, You believe there is one God? That's great. The devils also believe there is one God. It's not enough just to know, we have to trust. That's what faith is. Faith is trust. Here's the tension then between what Paul says and what Jesus says back in Matthew. If the law is our guardian and we are no longer under that guardian because of Jesus, then how is it that not one bit of the law will pass until all is accomplished? So we are free from the curse of the law then, but not from the authority of the law. We are free from the curse of the law, which is death, but not the authority of the law, which is, well, on the negative side, it, it, it illuminates our sin. It shows us what sin is. On the positive side, it shows us the character of God. Amen. Back in Matthew 5, verse 19, continuing on with Jesus' sermon, he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is interesting language. He's talking about transgressing the law or, or relaxing the law at the very least. Relaxing the law and teaching others to, to disregard the stringency of the law. This is the same law that if you pass, if you, if you bump up against it, you are condemned to death. He says, if you relax it and teach others to relax it, he says, you are the least in the kingdom. If you follow the law and you teach others to do the same, if you do the law, then you're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Interesting that he says they are both in the kingdom of heaven. And why is that? Paul calls this the law of liberty in Christ. You see, for the Christian, in Christ, we are done with the law as it regards salvation. Amen. We are done with the law as a means to be righteous before God. In fact, we cannot be righteous before God according to the law, Amen. just by following the law. 
For us, the consequence and the purpose of the law has been fulfilled, completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We have been granted righteousness as a gift through our faith in Him and His completion of the law. Through our faith in Him and through our faith in His completion of the law. Before the law was even given, the Bible says that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. For example, the law calls for sacrifice, right? Sin requires a sacrifice. And Jesus is the final sacrifice, the final propitiation for our sin. There is no more sacrifice. All of the sacrificial law was completely fulfilled in Jesus. There is no more sacrifice for sin because he paid for it all. We don't have any danger of transgressing the law of sacrifice. It's done. He fulfilled it. He completed it. He is our sacrifice. And if you believe in that and you trust in that, then you understand what Paul meant when he said in Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How can that be? That there would be condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus. How could we have condemnation if we are in Christ the, the judgment has already been given. The sentence has already been passed and the judgment has already been paid. The price has already been paid. That's not to relax the law though. Because Jesus said that if we relax the law, then we are the least in the kingdom. So relaxing the law, but we're still in the kingdom, that's because the means of entry into the kingdom is not the law. It is Christ. Jesus also said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Did he not? Loving me is keeping my commandments. So the law doesn't justify us. The law does not save us. But our obedience to the commandments of Jesus testify to our love for him. That's like the, the flowery petals on the flower. That's, that's the, the beautiful thing that we see from the outside is the obedience to Christ and His commandments. That's why Christians look and see, like Jesus said in the last, last week, uh, verse uh, 16, in the same manner let your good works shine before others so that they see them and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine so they see your good works. That's The obedience to the law is that, that beautiful facade that's not just skin deep. It comes from the core, inside out. The law doesn't justify us. It doesn't save us. Our obedience to His commandment testifies to our love for Him, testifies to our faith in Him. We've got to stop thinking about this as rule-keeping. That's how the Pharisees taught it. And that's how they thought about it, as rule-keeping. The evidence of your faith in Christ is a transformed heart that overflows into good works, faith that bears fruit, faith that is shown to be alive by works. Amen. It is trust and hope in Christ that comes first, and that spills over into obedience. There's a couple of places in the Psalms where we're told that there is a way that seems right to men, but the end of that way is death. So there's a, there's a way that 
that man wants to live. There's a way that, that man wants to follow that is after the flesh, and that way leads to death. Amen. And then there's a way that God said that we should live. There's a way that God said that we should follow, and that is the way of the Spirit, and that is the way of life. Romans 8, verses 6 through 8, Paul uh, plainly says this. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So how do we know that they are hostile to God? How do we know that the mind of the flesh is hostile to God? Because it doesn't submit to God's law. It's not the law that justifies. However, it's the law that exposes. Paul also said in Galatians 2.21 that if the law brought righteousness, then Christ died for no purpose. If righteousness comes through the law, then the death of Christ meant nothing. I read one commentary that put it this way. It says, the, the law sends us to Jesus to be justified because it shows us our inability to please God in ourselves. Remember, it's a light that shines on our darkness. It illuminates our sin. The law is our schoolmaster telling us you're in the wrong. You're condemned. You need a Savior. That's what the law does for us. Tells us how much we need Christ. So the law sends us to Christ for our justification. But after we come to Christ, He sends us back to the law to learn the heart of God and our conduct and sanctification in God. The law tells you how to behave. You've, you, you've got your faith and your hope and your trust in Christ. You've done that. You've put those things and trusted your life to Jesus and the work that He has done and the, the gift of grace that comes through faith in Him. Now, here's what that life looks like. That's what the law speaks to us about. And the extent that we relax the law, to the extent that we try to relax the law and we try to teach others to relax, and oh, well, you don't have to worry about that. To the same extent, we're teaching others to look less like Christ. He fulfilled the law. He lived perfectly according to it. So then, Jesus calls us to a different kind of righteousness. It's a righteousness through faith in Him that is evidenced by good works. He, he said, let your light shine before others so they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So this is a righteousness that Jesus is calling us to that is evidenced by a pure heart, evidenced by being poor in spirit, evidenced by being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Does any of this sound familiar? Amen. By pursuing peace, by being merciful and all of the blessed things that he spoke about in the Beatitudes. This is a different kind of righteousness. Back in Matthew 5, finally in verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. They were rule keepers, the scribes and Pharisees. Some of them were so meticulous, even about the tiniest things. But Jesus accused them, and he said to them, You hypocrites, you tithe mint and dill. You're, you, you give a tithe of the, of the, the little pieces of, of herbs and spices that you pick from your herb garden. You're so meticulous about that, but you, you neglect the weightier matters of the law, like justice and faithfulness. 
That's Matthew 23, 23. In the same discussion, he told the Pharisees that they work so hard to keep up appearances. You, you wash the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of selfishness and self-centeredness and greed. Jesus calls us to a different kind of righteousness, not a righteousness that is displayed by rule-keeping, but a righteousness that is displayed by our love for Him, true righteousness that is found only in Him, faith in Him, trust in Him. Righteousness that cleanses us on the inside and that manifests itself in joyful obedience to the things He has commanded us to do. It is my good pleasure to do what He asked me to because He has saved me and I love Him for it. And then Jesus spends the entire rest of His Sermon on the Mount teaching what that righteousness looks like. And how different it is from how they have understood the law. He said, let me show you what the law really means. And we'll, we'll get to all that in the coming weeks. What, what I'm most amazed by in this text is the tremendous grace that is shown by Jesus. Amen. Amen. I didn't come to do away with this law that condemns you. I came to fulfill it. I came to take away the curse of it for you. And he bore the curse of it for us so that we might have life in him. Life through the law of sin and death. What amazing grace he has given us. He came, he fulfilled it. He offered us a new covenant that doesn't abolish the old. It fulfills it and clarifies the old. And we can live after Him. Let's pray. Father God, I come to You in the name of Jesus. And I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your law. Your law of liberty that we have in Christ. Father, that none of us are ever going to get all of it right. There was one perfect man. And we serve Him and we love Him because He saved us. Father, give us a heart to follow you perfectly, to desire to do it perfectly. Lord, convict us when we don't and show us that, that we have assurance in Christ, that we don't have to be afraid because of the curse of the law, but that we can serve you rightly in Jesus. Give us boldness to do it in the world, Lord. Keep us safe as we go our separate ways. Bring us back safely, Lord. And bless the food that we're about to eat and the hands that prepared it. And bless our fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.